This podcast is all about cycling in your 60s, and I have the pleasure of talking to my friend, physical therapist, and lifelong cyclist, Billy Har. And Billy talks about his old and lingering cycling injuries, how he trained then versus training now in his 60s, and how Billy uses cycling as therapy with his pediatric clients. Heal, move, cycle, evolve. Welcome to Move Evolution's Heal, Move, and Evolve podcast, where we discuss everything about the pain, injury, movement competency, and performance of the athlete, fitness enthusiast, musician, performing artist, anyone who moves for a living and lives to move. My name is Richard Simister. I am owner of Move Evolution Physical Therapy. I am a physical therapist, sports and conditioning specialist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. What are you talking about? My mission is to problem solve, provide you with valuable information, and to bring you that much closer towards your life, fitness, and goals. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. From strength to sex to psychedelics, we discuss anything and everything that has to do with your overall physical wellness. Heal, move, evolve. And welcome back to the Move Evolution Heal, Move, and Evolve podcast. And I would like to welcome to my podcast, Mr. William Har, physical therapist, strength and conditioning coach lifelong cyclist and longtime friend and a great guy, but I don't know why I have to premise saying that because if he wasn't a great guy, um, I'd have him on my other podcast, Big Fat Jerk. So, Billy. Richard. How are you, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's great to hear you, man. Same here. Everyone, Billy and I went to grad school together uh, at Simmons College in Boston. It was three years of fun and also um, – uh, tearing at my hair when the test came around. But how's the Colorado weather today, Billy? Um, it's awesome. It's uh, had to get out early today. It's going to be 97 today and hot. How many miles did you do? Um, I did about 50 miles today. Good ride. Yeah, it was great. It was uh, it's kind of chilly when I left. Wish I had some uh, longer sleeves on, but. Uh, by the time I was heading back in, I was glad I was in shorts and short sleeves. So it was an awesome ride. Nice. Lots of hot air balloons were out. It was beautiful out. 
one of my favorite places to visit is Colorado, Colorado, Colorado. So we're either going to talk about uh, the psychosis you suffered after drinking frog venom in Peru, Billy, or we can discuss cycling at 60 or in your 60s. Which would you prefer? I would probably prefer the uh, cycling <laughs> in your 60s. Okay, we can stick to that topic. Billy, how old are you right now? Uh, I'm 60. Wow. That's so Wow, that's pretty old. Were you using training logs or were you like writing on scrolls or using hieroglyphics back then? I'm just curious. That's a long time. It's yeah, it's been a long time. I, actually, I, I can tell you how long um, I've been riding. But when I first started, we were wearing wool shorts. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that, I remember uh, I had one pair of wool shorts, and my next pair was the was the spandex, and that was like the big rage. So I've been riding for a little while. Do you do you feel sixty? I know that's a, a really a stupid question. What is sixty supposed to feel like? But compared to other people your age how would you rate your fitness zero to ten um that's it's kind of tough so if i if you do like the general public as a whole yeah i'm I'm, a, I'm pretty fit but uh if you if i compare it to like my, my peers in racing i'm i struggle because they're so much stronger than me so you so, still compete um a little bit i mean i haven't raced this year obviously with covid um, but I was kind of gearing up to maybe do some gravel races and stuff this year. Um, and I was, I could, I was in the upper categories. I was a 60 year old category, which is kind of nice because I'm racing against guys that are older than 60, which uh, makes it a little bit easier. Uh, so I was kind of looking forward to doing some racing like that, but, um, uh, just didn't work out. But, you know, overall, I mean, I feel like, I don't really feel like a 60 year old in answer to your question. I feel more like Maybe like a 50-year-old, maybe? Yeah, you shocked me the first time we actually met. And actually, you didn't tell me for like three weeks, four weeks. Then you told me. I had this look of shock. My Everyone, Billy does not look at his age, and he, he never did. It's very strange. He's like you know, Benjamin Button of physical therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Billy, tell us about your, your love affair with bikes, how you first met, any arguments or breakups, and um, how you are forever connected. Um, you know, I first started getting into cycling right when my dad um, uh, was diagnosed with lung cancer. And he um, didn't live very much after he was diagnosed. But you know what? I, would, I was just kind of starting riding. And it was just kind of like my place that I'd go to escape and uh, just be by myself and do some nice long rides. And um, I, I just really enjoyed that a lot. And then I kind of met some other people who were racing and I'm like, Hey, you're pretty strong. You should try some racing. So, um, I entered my first bike race and I, I won it. How old were you? Oh, I think I was 21. But how many, how many miles was there kilometers? Do you remember? Uh, you know what? I remember it was like, a, it was a citizen's race. So, uh, yeah, it was maybe like 30 minutes, but, uh, uh it, it was, it was, I enjoyed it, but that's when I kind of, that kind of really got me into cycling was that. And then um, from there, I just um, trained more and more and more and uh, just really enjoy that, that kind of that serenity on the bike. When your father passed, did it, was it, I'm not trying to be cruel like this, but I'm trying to take a positive spin. Was oh. it an impetus to train harder, longer, or because there wasn't the, 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 
when I say this, the worry or the concern had passed, was there a change in your training soon after he passed or a few months after he passed? Nah, you know, I think I started training more. I think, uh, you know, a lot of it was he, 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 it was the lung cancer from smoking and I was just adamant on being in the best shape that I could be. Um, so it's, I would say from that, that was, that was like just when I was just first starting out and getting into it, I knew nothing about racing um, and training and stuff like that. I was just kind of going out and riding on my bike. And it probably wasn't a year after my dad died and when I really um, got into like more structured, structured workouts. And you've never picked up a cigarette, have you? No. Good for you. No. Good for you. Yeah. Back to the, um, the bike question today. Did, have you ever had any breakups or arguments with your bike and said, you know, F you, I, I don't need you in my life. I can find better. <laughs> no, you know what, man, I, I raced for uh, um, probably a good uh, eight to nine years. And I don't think that um, I really had times. So I was just like, did, I didn't want to get on the bike. I mean, you had your usual kind of burnout towards the end of the season just from putting on so many miles and just, and racing and just the intensity of racing and you get pretty worn down. But I wouldn't say that I was like, that I hated my bike and didn't want to be on it. Um, I, I, it's even to this day, I, I still love riding bikes and it's a place I like to go to and I have a, I need to think about things. Everyone, Billy was famous for a, <laughs> a bike he brought from Colorado, Colorado and it was a blue heavy 20 ton beachcomber. And you can explain <laughs> what it looked like, Billy. But Billy and I were both au pairs or nannies during grad school. It was a nice deal. We had room, you know, on, uh, room to ourselves, uh, parking for our cars, and it was 15, 20 minutes bike ride to grad school. But <laughs> Billy had this hill, and I call it the Death Nanny Hill. Billy, can you explain, uh, tell people a little bit about your beach cruiser and the hill? <laughs> you had to bike up to your... Uh, uh, for your nanny job. We both lived in the house, folks, so we had to bike there after school. Can you please tell us yes. <laughs> about the incline? <laughs> this, uh, the, the old beach cruiser bike, yeah, it was, I picked it up at a garage sale for like 35 bucks here in Colorado. <laughs> and it had the fenders, and I had a big old basket on the front. And um, I think this bike was probably like from the 1960s, I'm guessing. It's maybe a little later than that, but... Uh, <laughs> it was one of those bikes with a big, huge front tire and a small back tire, and you're 10 feet off the ground, one of those. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, like the Wizard yeah, the wizard of Oz, the, the Wicked <laughs> riding the bike. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was great. I would, uh, I'd have to go down to the store and pick up some groceries, and I think uh, I'd have all the bags hanging from the handlebars, and I'd be like riding up that hill, and uh, people would look at me so weird, because I'd have like... <laughs> you know, three or four grocery bags on each side of the handlebars grinding up the hill. Uh, it, it was pretty funny. Yeah, I tried riding with you a few times. I'm like, this is, this is, uh, this is like walking up to your 10th floor um, because there's no elevator in the building, so you have to walk <laughs> upstairs. So. <laughs> Billy, as far as cycling, when did, you, um, when did you reach your physical peak as a cyclist? And my, my second part to this, can you continue to improve as a cyclist um, throughout your decades of living? Uh, I would say I probably peaked like in my um, my mid to late 20s 
that's probably when I was in my best shape. Um, I did, was doing racing cyclocross, and I had a couple Tim's Place finishes at Nationals, so I was pretty psyched about that. Um, and, yeah, at 27, I, you can still improve your fitness. I mean, even look at, like, a lot of the guys, like, in the Tour de France, they're, you know, they're, like, in their 30s, and they're still winning. I think you just um, – you can – improve your power and everything. And, um, I'm not sure at what age you get, you know, you, you kind of lose that at, um, but maybe like your mid to late thirties is when it, you kind of start losing that power. Just physiologically, you can't maintain that power. Is there a golden window or age um, frame or zone where it's the best for, you know, I know that if I start at this age, I'm going to be a better cyclist and I know if I train the hardest during this time this is my peak this is when I'm going to feel the strongest is there a window of opportunity for training and cycling Billy I, th I think so I think like you see like really young guys and I think sometimes they actually struggle a little bit on the really really long races because mm -hmm. they just have to build up that physiological endurance and I'm not sure the exact window but I would just probably like I would say like your mid-20s to maybe like your early thirties and stuff. That's probably like the, when you could really reach your prime and everything with cycling. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I'm just through the research and the latest podcast where we learn our skills as far as manipulating ourselves, manipulating objects like kicking, swinging, cycling and balance is developed a little early in females around six or seven and, and boys between seven and eight. And, because and everyone, Billy is a physical therapist. We're going to talk about this later, but his his clientele mostly children and, and young adults. Does this is this the same for cycling? Like you you learn it early and it becomes a skill, or have you seen people uh, pick it up later in life and they are just um, they just they just zoom, they're just fast and they're agile and they are made for cycling. I think at the level like at racing you. At like at the level that I'm raised at and stuff like that, I think you need to have a little bit of a, has to be in your genes. Um, so I think it doesn't really matter like when you pick it up, if it's in your genes, you're going to excel. Okay. Um, so if it's, you know, if you're someone who is delayed a little bit as far as like meeting their milestones and everything, mm -hmm. you know, as far, as far as like racing and stuff like that, I think it's going to be hard, but it's not to say that they couldn't learn how to ride a bike and still go out and have a good time. Understood. It, 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 is, there an important, is there an important milestone that if it's missed or they haven't developed that, that developmental skill that there won't be a carryover in cycling? I know I'm kind of reaching with this, but there, there are links between what you can do as an infant and delays later on with developing skill. Do you think there's a specific movement such as crawling or squatting that leads directly to biking or we have to go a little bit further and talk about the like the functional movements like later on in life like squatting lunging pressing boy i, I don't know that's, that's a great question um or convoluted <laughs> no, no, that's, that's that, that's a great question um i mean because that's that's actually something i do in my practice is that i i teach kids how to ride bikes and but the kids that i teach they're mostly kids who um they've had brain tumors or they're autistic and they, um, they just need someone to kind of help them with the riding reactions and everything. Um, wow. I, ha I haven't seen anything in the research that, that really talks about you need to have this before you can like 
ride a bike and everything like a particular milestone. I wish that you need to definitely need to have the protective reflexes, mm-hmm. um, but that's actually part of teaching kids how to ride bikes is to the way our brain is wired. We actually turn the handlebars the wrong way. So if you are start leaning or falling to the right, you know, you're supposed to turn into the fall. So you're supposed to turn to the right, but the way our brain's wired, the reflex is wrong and you turn them to the left and the then left. You, you fall. Is the so, cycling for these, these kids, is it more therapeutic? Is it more about balance, stimuli, um, coordination, or all of the above? All of the above. And I, and I think really the biggest one is just being able to ride a bike with their peers. Um, it's, I can't tell you how many, um, like just like moms and dads, and you, you get their, their child riding the bike, and they're just in tears because they're like, oh, my God, Johnny is just like the rest of the kids. He can ride a bike and he can go out with, with the rest of the kids in the neighborhood. So it's a psychosocial component of the child being able to engage with activities with his friends, with his peers? Yes. Wow. Yes. Wow. I, I wouldn't have thought that. So it, it's a great, it's, it's my favorite thing that I do as a PT, I got to be honest with you. I did not know you did this, and I should as your, should as your close friend. <laughs> hey, Billy, old versus new training protocols, okay? Back in the day, what didn't they teach you about you know, nutrition, bike fitness, staying in condition, conditioning for your upper body that you wish you had known to make you a better cyclist? Oh, man. that I got to be honest with you, that is a long list. <laughs> How about the top three things you wish your peers or your coaches had taught you for uh, <laughs> for increased biking performance? So you know, back then you didn't we didn't really have, we didn't have coaches. The only coaches were like coaches on the national team and or like developmental teams. And I I wasn't either good enough or I was too old to make those teams. So. Most of the information I got was like reading from magazines or if I could get information from my buddies who were in camps, um, as far as like training regimes, you did, we didn't lift because back then people felt like if you, if you lifted, you're going to bulk up. And if you bulk up more weight to carry up the hills. That's a little um, bit, that's kind of true though, right? The heavier you are, the harder, the more muscle, the more the weight you have to lug up the hill and incline. Yeah. Yeah. But you also have more power. Yeah, I mean, technically, yes, you're carrying more weight, but the flip side of that is you're going to have a little bit more power. And and really, it, it's not true. I mean, if you're going to bulk up that much lifting weights and you're riding bikes, I think you picked the wrong sport, and you should be doing some another power sport. Um, because you know, yeah, we we tend want to be we want to be as light as we can, but I, I really we didn't do much lifting back then. It was just more, you do a little bit in the winter time for a couple months and then that was it. Um, so I think lifting would have been, have been really good. Um, God, I'm trying to think of some other things, you know, nutrition ugh, that, that didn't even exist back then. You just ate whatever. Um, and I, it's right now, I think I eat really healthy and I think that's actually helped me even better. Um, back then, I mean, Got a, I, I can remember one of my best races. I had like a Big Mac and French fries before the race. <laughs> the staple food of any nutritious breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you what do you what do you miss the most about uh, training back then, back between your twenties and thirties, and 
what did you despise and you know you never want to return to? Um, you know what I. I miss my, I mean, I'm in good shape now, but back then I, I was just, I was amazing, amazing shape. I mean, I could go out and just say, yeah, I think I'm gonna go ride a hundred miles today. You know, not a big deal at all. Nowadays, no, I couldn't do that. So I kind of missed the fitness level. Um, and I missed, uh, just like being with my friend, my teammates and, you know, going out on a long ride, it would be great. You know, you go out for like a, four to six hours ride and you just would just chat and you'd bring little treats along and eat and it was great. Um, like so, exactly. Um, I made some really close friends, um, really some really good friends. What's, so. what's the, what's the, uh, uh, what do you despise or what did you hate about training? Um, I think looking back on it, that, and I didn't know it at the time, but I, I just, the way I trained was, it was, it was okay for the time, but I, if I knew what I knew now, I would have been a lot better as, as far as like training, but we didn't have all the parameters. We didn't have the power meters. We didn't have a heart rate and all that stuff. Um, but I, I mean, I love training. There wasn't really anything that I really despised about it. Maybe, maybe riding in really cold weather, you know, can't feel your feet. Was, was it worse in Boston or Colorado as far as the, 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 the cold, the freezing temperatures? Um, you know, it's so much colder in Boston. So, yeah. <laughs> so used to it. Yeah. Billy, and you mentioned tools, heart rate monitors. What do they have? Uh, this is a long list, but what three tools do you wish you had then that they have now? Um heart the same thing like i think like right now i think it's really important you need to use a heart rate monitor and a power meter and together with your workouts some people i know do use just heart rate monitor and it's it's not as effective there's there's a delay when you're doing like intervals with your heart rate um and you need that power meter um to kind of know how much power you're putting out and stuff like that like uh, i'll go out and do like today i was doing eight minutes in a certain amount of power at a little window I would try to hold it in there and then I would do like five minutes easy um, so it's we didn't have that back in the, in the day and so you would just go out basically and just ride as hard as you could ride and can that's you how you I'm sorry that's no, right can you explain what the power meter is and how it's used and where it goes on the bike please for our readers our listeners rather yeah I, I crewed uh kind of a crude way of it here. A power meter, it can go in a number of places. Uh, some of them are like mine's in my rear hub of my bike and it's measuring the amount of torque that you put in, in the bike. Um, they also go in the pedals or the crank arms where the pedals are attached. Um, and so you can measure how much power that you're, you're, you're putting out. And it's with bike racing, it's all about how much power can you put out <clears throat> and for how long. Um, and there's, you go out and do like a field test and kind of determine like what is, um, how much power you could hold over a 20 minute period. And that's like your training zone right there for certain zones that you do. Um, there's six different zones. I'm, I'm getting way off here. It's it, not at all. Cause there's so much stuff. I, I mean, there's stuff I'm still even trying to figure out myself. And that's like where I, I, I have a coach now that helps me with all this stuff. Cause I, it's, 
kind of mind boggling to me as to which zone you're supposed to train in. But you have like your zone ones and twos, which is like the easy recovery endurance. You have your zone three, which is kind of your sweet spot where you can um, develop more power. And then you have your zone four, which is where you're increasing your VO2 max. Um, and then you have like your zone six, which is just an all out sprint. So, um, I answer your question about the power meter there. Yes, like you did. Yes, you did. Exactly. And do, I'm sorry, do you use both the heart rate monitor and the power meter and which one? And if you had to choose, you like the power meter. Tell me why you like um, checking your power versus your heart rate. What's the benefit as a cyclist? So what they'll do is they'll, like kind of, they'll look at your power. And so they'll kind of see how you're doing, like when you're maintaining like a certain um, zone. And like, so maybe like, Today I always did, I did five, eight minutes on, five minutes off. And then what they'll do is they'll kind of look, what's your heart rate doing towards the end of that, on the fifth interval? And they want to see how heart rate is at. And are you maintaining that heart rate at a, at a certain level or is it starting to creep up a little bit and you're, you're reaching your anaerobic threshold where the body develops more lactic acid than it can metabolize? Mm -hmm. And then you start, your legs start like cramping up on you and stuff like that. Do you ever do you check your resting heart rate in the morning? No, I, I don't. Um, that was something we did. That's how you would kind of decide if you're overtraining. You could look at your heart rate when you would wake up, and then when you stood up, and if it was like jumped by more than ten beats, then you, you haven't recovered from the past workout. I was doing the same. Well, in the morning for a month, I was checking my resting heart rate, my blood saturation blood pressure, my pH level with the, you know, the pH strips and really grip tests because my friend, uh, Boba Banco from fit care also on, on the West coast, we were talking a lot about fitness and how you metric or how you measure your metrics and uh, grip strength came up and there was a strong correlation between my grip strength, how I slept that night the night before, and how I performed, whether I was doing uh, some cardiovascular work or strength training, was always a little bit off if my grip strength work was off. Just wanted to mention that. Wow. Yeah. Um, folks, we're gonna take a little bit of a break and we'll be right back. I want to ask Billy some personal, personal deep questions and a little bit more about cycling in his 60s and what he does outside of cycling. So we will be back shortly. Like it's good to be alive, and I'm a famous rapper, even when the past are all crooked. I could show, and we are back with Billy Har, physical therapist, strength and conditioning coach, cyclist. And Billy, 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 right now, are you training more for pleasure or more for fitness? Hmm, hmm, good question. Actually, you know what? It's kind of it's both. To be honest with you, um, <clears throat> I think during the week, I tend to do more um, like intervals and stuff like that. So more like my fitness. And then on the weekends, um, Delia, my wife and I, ha we have a, a tandem bike. And that's when we'll kind of go out on the weekends and 
and do a ride. So, and that's more for pleasure. I've seen your tandem bike and it looks very romantic. You know, it sounds very romantic cycling with your, your wife and I've seen it and I didn't know you could fold it up and take it in pieces. I always wondered how you traveled with <laughs> tandem bikes. But Billy, do you have any um, any cycling goals and also what are, you, what are your personal goals for the next few years? So cycling and personal goals, please. Um, cycling, I mean, I haven't done a gravel race. I'd like to, I'd like to try one of those, to be honest with you. What, explain uh, what that is, please. A gravel, I'm sorry. So gravel is going to be more uh, just like riding on dirt roads. Um, and typically in the past, I've done like road racing or cyclocross where you're, it's like a closed circuit. You're getting up and, and running with the bike. Mm-hmm. So I think it'd be kind of a good crossover. Um, yes. So the, the gravel races can be anywhere, from like I think like from 30 to 200 miles long. And... I do not want to do a 200 mile gravel race. I don't think my back would hold up, <laughs> but um, it's just intriguing. I, I enjoy riding gravel roads now. There's less cars out there, um, so it's, it's it's fun. You, your back hurts after how many miles or how many kilometers? You know, it just depends. If I'm just kind of out for a cruise, it doesn't yeah. bother me. But like today, you know, I was pushing it, um, and after about. Oh, two hours. I was, you know, doing the standing up, kind of arching my back, trying to get my back a, a break a little bit. What's your body telling you now as far as your capacity, weak spots, improvement or, or uh, improvements versus decline? What are the signals, Billy? Um, I think just part of it, just like the abuse, I think, on my body, it's just kind of catching up to me now. Uh, back when I was racing, I felt invincible. Now it's like, uh, you know, I don't want to fall because uh, it's going to take me a while to recover from that. Yeah. And uh, just the aches and pains of like my knees, my back, feet, um, it's, that's just starting to kind of catch up. Like I feel a little bit more now. I don't, I don't feel quite as invincible. Or some of the biggest injuries that are, like, that are still lingering or impacted your life, your function, how you move. Or I know this is just effed up. <laughs> you know, it's going to be there for a while. Um, I don't know. Like, you know, I had looking, thinking back on it, I, I, I thought, you know, a couple pretty big concussions. Um, and I, I think that I'm, you know, working with concussion patients, you know, it's something in the, in the future, uh, can lead to dementia and my mother with dementia. That's a little bit of a worry. Um, I don't really don't notice it sometimes. Um, my knees, they're definitely just torqued from, just the wear and tear of just pushing big gears and stuff like that. Um, and there, there's times it's there. I'm pretty stiff. Um, and the back, I think my back's probably the worst just from, uh, you know, racing hard and then also getting out there. And, you know, when you, when you have a house is you got to do your stuff around the house. So I'd go out and do like a, big ride in the morning time, go out for like three or four hours and come back and lay flags down in the front yard. And that didn't work too good. And that's, I think that's what really trashed my back out that combination. And why don't you warm up again? I asked you this a while back and you said you just hop on the, hop on the bike and go, why don't you foam roll or stretch dynamic stretch before or do any type of prep for your neurological system? Tell me why, Billy. Time. <laughs> good answer good answer you know 
I'll, you know, I don't like get out there and hammer away. I definitely get on the bike and just kind of warm up the muscles. Um, there's, there's definitely a warm up on the bike, but you know, as far as like stretching and stuff like that, I'm a bad example to my patients as far as stretching. Yeah. You yeah. might want to keep that to yourself, man. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I have the last, last month I've, I've started doing some stretching and my back's actually been feeling a little bit better. Imagine that. What a phenomenon. Yeah. And, and you did some strength, like heavy strength training. You were on a program, I think it was last year. Was it a, in, for your knees or just general strength in your legs? You know, I tried doing something actually this um, this winter. I tried to do some just some strengthening for my legs and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I, I wanted to see if I get more power because right now I, I don't have enough power to stay with the people my age and stuff like that. And that's why I'm trying to increase that. So I thought if I could lift some weights, increase my power, that might help. Um, but just doing the, the lifting program, it, it just didn't work out. Um, uh, my, my knees were just, they just got so sore. I, I, I had, I basically had to stop. You had a lot of squatting, right? And yeah. Yeah. It's just, it was mostly the squatting that got me squatting leg press, but it was the squat that I think that really was tough on my knees. Uh, really, um, it, it is a really personal question. I was going to save this for the last, but uh, the last question. But I remember, I remember, and I remember that you said that biking came first. Okay, and I'm, um, uh, and you had a girlfriend or some girlfriend, and biking came first. Tell me a little bit about your priorities between uh, in your twenties, thirties, as far as biking and uh, your relationships with women. Sure. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it was basically in cycling. I was, I wanted to try to be a professional so bad. <clears throat> that was my goal. That's, you know, it's probably one thing I've learned from cycling is just my drive. Um, it's, you get what you put into it. And, um, in order to meet that, it, I felt like I had to make that my number one priority. And so I had, I had a couple girlfriends that were, they were really nice. Um, and at the, you know, it's, I would, I would put cycling over them. I would put a ride up, you know, over them, which to meet my goal, um, I wouldn't say, I mean, I look back on that now and it's, I feel like I'm a total jerk doing that. Um, but it was just something I, I wanted to try to meet this one goal in life. Did you um, win any relationships or lose any women over? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I had two. Um, <laughs> that I lost uh, that, uh, you know, eventually they were just got tired of it left. And I was, I was pretty, uh, upset about it. And, um, cause I just thought they, they were the one, you know, that I would eventually marry or something like that. But, you know, looking back on it though, it's, if I had married them, it wouldn't have worked out. Um, and it's, I have the wife that I have now today. Um, I think as a result of it, who I'm very, very happy with. I happen to know Delia and, it is again. It's a. It's an intense relationship. It's, it looks like a fun relationship. You have so much in common, and you all travel together. And I'm gonna going to ask you about that. I can jump into it right now. As an uh, like an outdoorsman and traveling with your wife, what were your what, what are your favorite activities to do, such as hiking, climbing, or cycling together? Um, you know, for a while there we climbed. I mean, that's where we met. Really, was was climbing in Colorado in a basic mountaineering class. I was uh, as an instructor and she was one of the students and that's really where we met at. Um, and that was great. We 
we got in, did a lot of climbing, climbed all the 14ers in Colorado, which was great. Um, and then, but I think, you know, now like looking back on, I mean, we, we couldn't do that stuff now. We're just, we're too old carrying all the packs and stuff like that. It was, that was pretty intense. Um, so, um, you know, we've kind of shifted more to do more cycling and we, you know, thinking back on like the trips they've taken, you know, we, uh, her sister lived in Singapore. So we would did a lot of trips over to Asia and we, a lot of times we would, uh, do some bike tours. We did bike tours in uh, Vietnam, Cambodia, uh, China. Um, it, it, and it was awesome. It's for us, you know, we like going and seeing other cultures and that was just a great way to get back and seeing what the, the people were like there, you know, in Vietnam, they were so nice. Um, I was, wasn't sure how they would like having Americans there, but, uh, you know, would be riding along in the middle of nowhere and, you hear someone, hello, you know, there'd be, there'd be some farmer up there waving to us. You know, they were so nice. You um, think we'd get the same response because of what's going on here? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you have like 85 more days into the election. Maybe things in Aurora, um, Colorado won't happen again. I'm sure you're familiar with the, the yeah. incident, but I won't dive into that. Billy, with, if, with all the places you traveled with your wife, which one was the most romantic? The most romantic? Oh, man. I would have to say um, it, it'd be between when we were in China and also when we were in Taiwan. Um, and uh, the one in Taiwan, it was, it, it was pretty funny. It was kind of one we did. That basically they took us up to the top of the gorge and you rode down this gorge. Um, so it was kind of a downhill bike ride, which is pretty nice. Uh, but it was just wild. It was just these walls of marble. Um, and the roadway was kind of cut in the side of the marble. So that was beautiful there. Um, it was very romantic. Um, and the one in China was, was, well too, was great too. We, um, you know, we signed up for it thinking we were going to be with a big group. And it ended up just being me and Delia and we had a guide and we oh, had a nice a support vehicle and what, what uh, vehicle? a support vehicle, like a van that would just kind of follow us. Mm. And, uh, and then each night we would stay someplace and it, they were all, they'd be like a B and B here and, uh, just we'd be by ourselves to go out, have a nice romantic dinner and, um, just enjoy the, the culture we, we, we would see there. Where would you live if you were all set for money? Where would you live and what, what three things apart from your wife that you would take with you? The three most important things, where would you live? Um, I, you know, I would have to say that I, I would probably stay where I'm at. I, I, we love where we live in Colorado. Um, I think the big thing is, is that we, we don't want to be tied. We want to be able to travel to different areas. So if I had all the money in the world, I'd want to be able to continue to travel. And, and continue just to go to these different regions as opposed to being tied into one area. So Colorado is your home base and being able yeah. to have options. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. We, we, we know we've always talked about, you know, trying to buy another house or something like that. It's just like, no, nah, that's, we have a great place here and um, it's, let's just use this as our home base and we can kind of travel out from it. I so love that, your house. I, I really like it. I'm, I hope I'm in your will. 
Bill, <laughs> <laughs> and where do they where do they cycle the most out of all the the uh, places you visited? Where do you see the most uh, bikers, cyclists? And I'm talking mainly about commuting, not about racing. Um, Copenhagen, Denmark. Um, we didn't do a biking trip. We didn't we didn't do, didn't do a biking trip there, but it's on our bucket list to go back and do. Um, it was amazing. Um, in Copenhagen, they have separate lights for the bikes and the cars. Wow. And so not uncommon to be at a light. Uh, you'd have like maybe two or three cars, and then you'd have about 20 bikes all lined up there at the light. And then the, the lights would change, and all the bikes would go get the head start, and then five seconds later, then the car light would change, and then the cars would go. And they so, share the same lane? The same street. Um, there's no bike lane. They some some spots had bike lanes, uh, but then you know so much different than here. I mean, they're just used to having bikes there, and they're not going to like run you off the road. Um, so it's it's a lot safer there uh, than than it is here. So separate lights for the bikes. I like that. Yeah, New York is yeah. dangerous, and I have a lot of people who won't bike in New York because they don't respect cyclists out here. They put in a lot of new bike lanes and then people were complaining because the bike lanes were taking up driving lanes or parking. It's ridiculous. And there were so many people killed here that they actually had a fundraiser when, you know, like the hundred, you know, the, I don't know how many people had died. One the cyclist had died and they had a, a big protest. Uh, they had a, mom, a celebration for him and they're trying to, um, up the awareness here that cyclists are just getting knocked off their bikes by people who are not aware, but we'll see what happens with that. And, and we, go, uh -huh. I said, we, have, we have the same thing here. We have a lot of um, the lanes are trying to make them like bike friendly and stuff like that. And it's, I, I gotta be honest with you, sometimes I appreciate what they're trying to do, mm -hmm. but in some respects, I almost feel like it's, it's worse. Uh, it's just, um, it's the roadway is just too cramped now. They're trying to, you know, squeeze in parking, a bike lane, and then cars, and it's they all don't fit. No. So I, I appreciate what they're trying to do, but some some areas it's just not working. Totally agree with you. And I want to ask them uh, going to your career as a physical therapist. Can you please tell our listeners about your time at the? Boston Ballet and also had you how you transitioned to working with pediatric and pediatric pediatrics in Colorado, please. Sure. Um, so when I when got out of school, I got a job at Children's Hospital in Boston. And uh, they actually had the contract uh, for the Boston Ballet. And while I, I was definitely was not one of the therapists that which was treating the professionals, we would get some maybe some of the students. Um, but it was pretty cool. They had like three PTs that would see the professional company. Um, they'd have a PT on staff there at all, all the performances so they could see any injuries on the floor or the, um, during any performances. Um, and then they were also there at uh, all the, the practices and stuff like that. Um, so I was more just at children's, but we would still see some of the younger kids for um, injuries and stuff like that or um, or injuries they sustained with dancing and stuff like that. Uh, I was there for about three years and then I kind of started to miss Colorado and that's when I 
kind of put some feelers out for coming back to Colorado. And um, I, I definitely found something here. And so I just kind of transferred out to Colorado and um, at Children's Hospital in Colorado. And I just kind of continued to do the same thing. Did a little bit of uh, stuff with the ballet company in Colorado here called Ballet Nouveau, Ballet Nouveau. And that's now changed to Colorado Conservatory. So I did some work with them, uh, which was great. And it was the same thing. Uh, it was more just the younger kids that I worked with. How did you have to change your treatment protocols or just ability to communicate or get, get the buy-in, I guess, between the, um, with the dancers and the children, or I should say the children's parents? Um, you know, it's working with ballet people is tough for dancers. It's, you know, I think part of the culture is you gotta, you're going to be in pain and you need to kind of work through some of that pain. Um, and so part of it was just trying, you know, I remember when I first started, I would kind of go to this, the ballet company in the afternoons here in Colorado. And, you know, I did a lot of sitting around because they wouldn't come see me because they were afraid to come see me because they were afraid I was going to tell them not to dance. Um, so a lot of it was just kind of, you know, hey, eventually would start seeing some people and, um, you know, it's, if they had to sit, yeah, you'd have to have them sit, but that would usually a big injury. But a lot of times you could, they could continue to dance and stuff like that. So with time, they uh, uh, began to trust me a little bit more, mm -hmm. uh, the dancer and the parents, as far as like, I'm not just going to tell them not to dance. I was trying to kind of keep them active in dance. Um, so that was probably the biggest thing. And then um, over the years, I'm, I'm not quite as active with uh, the, the ballet company. I, I'm not there at practices, but I tend to see the more uh, people that have had like really bad knee pain and they're at the point where they can't dance. And that's where I'll, I'll kind of, I'll pick up those kids and uh, kind of manage their knee pain and kind of get them back into dance. You also have parents who are hard to get through or get that buy-in or convince because they're also afraid to that you're going to tell you know your child can't run for a while they can't jump well he has to he has a big basketball season this year if she has a you know if she has a big soccer season this year if she has to play or if she's the star do you get any of that that type of resistance and you have to explain to them uh in in layman's terms or clinical terms that this is what's going to happen if your child continues to play at the same intensity or frequency yeah, I actually have a kid right now. He's actually a baseball player. And uh, he is 10 or 12, I, th I think. Mom is uh, is the one who brought him to therapy and stuff like that. He actually missed his first appointment because dad didn't think he needed it. He just <laughs> tough it up, tough it out, kid. And uh, um, the mom brought him and... Uh, doing my evaluation this kid's so weak in his scapular muscles it's he, laying on his stomach he couldn't even like lift his arm up off the table to get a three out of five on the muscle testing what position he's, did he play oh he's pitcher what <laughs> so, uh, Great. He, he, this, I, I just can't even i can't believe how weak this kid is what's the um, injury to the rotator or was it a uh... Yeah, he is uh, tendonitis is bicepital, long head and uh, supraspinatus muscle. And, but it was kind of nice. The second appointment, dad came, and uh, of course, they show up like 25 minutes late. 
And uh, I made a point to let dad see and compare the two sides, you know, to show how, how weak he was. And I think by the end of the treatment, I think dad, I think he understood that, okay, we do have some issues here and it's not just, he's got to tough it out. We need to work on some strength here. Um, so parents, parents can be intense, especially when they, I think the parents are living through their kids. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it's so hard. And they're the worst when they're, the kids are between maybe like 12 and 16 when they're going off to a special school or they got to get a scholarship or again, they are the, the stars of their team and they, their parents want to see them develop the fastest. And that's when I see those are the hardest parents to convince and they tend to watch me with eagle eyes. Like, what are you doing? What's that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Should we be doing that at home? We can do that right away. <laughs> can you run? Can you run? With with your with your child with the uh, the bicep is that in your in your experience is that the I guess the prerequisite to a labral tear or a peel back lesion? Yeah, you know what? So that's kind of the nice thing working with kids. For the most part, they don't do they don't have a lot of tears. They get a lot of tendonitis. Um, I think as they get maybe a little bit older and stuff like that, yeah. that's when they're getting those tears and stuff like that. But for us, it's mostly uh, repetitive use injury as opposed to a tear to a rotator cuff. I mean, yeah, every now and then we'll get those, but I'd say like 90% of the time it's just overuse and it's a tendonitis and they need to strengthen stabilizers and work on mechanics. As far as um, soccer players, this is just a random question. Do you see a lot of hip tendonitis or tendinosis from um, excessive kicking or frequency or duration? Um, not, not a lot. Um, I see, I see some, but I, I you know, I got to kind of clarify too. So we do see some sports, but at children's, we, we also have a sports medicine, um, clinic yeah. and they like sports medicine therapist. And they probably tend to see more of those athletes right now. Cause they've kind of started to divvy them out. And so we don't see quite as many of the elite athletes like that. Um, we're going to see more of the people that are just kind of doing it for fun. So I would say it's not as intense. And so we don't get as many of those injuries. Do you still have a chance to see um, um, dancers where you, uh, right now at Children's? And do you have a lot of cyclists, um, older cyclists coming in? Um, no, no cyclists. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I, I never really have, uh, I haven't seen a lot of cyclists. Um, it's, I mean, I, I would say I have a cyclist right now, but it's more of a kid who like, you ran into a tree mountain biking and compound fracture to his tip fit. So I, I'm seeing more like that as opposed to like an overuse injury in cycling. Do they tend to go to cyclists, uh, physical therapists who are specialists in cyclists or they just, they just don't go to physical therapy? How would you know that? But do you, are there specialists in Colorado that you think are, are in a lack of a better term, monopolizing the market as far as seeing cyclists or clients? I think so back, like when I was riding, I, I, I mean, my injury, I, I had a lot of really bad tendonitis on my knee and that's pretty much what I had to stop racing. Um, there was really no one to go to. It's, you know, you go to the doctor and they just like, Oh yeah, don't ride your bike. Uh, there, and there was really no therapist. There's one guy who did it. I mean, Andy Pruitt was a trainer. Um, you could go to, but now I would say there's a lot more practices. You have more people who were, um, 
I think there are actually older cyclists that are now physical therapists that are um, seeing more people. I mean, up in Boulder, you know, there's so many more cyclists up there. And I know there's two or three practices up there and they, they see cyclists. That's, that's their specialty and stuff like that. In Boston, I only know of one. And I'll try to find his name, but that's how scarce it is on, on the East Coast. Yeah. Comparing the the dancers to the the cyclists, even though you don't um, see a lot of dancers, but actually you do see some dancers. Is there is there a similarity in mindset as far as you know? I'm going to keep working out regardless of what. Oh, I have something coming up in the event, and just tell me what I need to do to get past to put a bandaid on it. I think the ballerinas are, are or the ballet people because I see both male and female. I, I would say like the really serious ones they're probably a, a lot harder working, I, I would say, than some of the cyclists. Um, I've, I've just seen just a handful of cyclists and stuff like that. So I think that it's just more intense with ballet. And also, it's just, huh? I'm sorry, and also it's just a mindset. Like earlier I was saying that this, you, know, you work through the pain and stuff like that. Who's your favorite client? What's the avatar? Hmm. hmm. The one who pays me, not <laughs> the one who's not a pain in the ass. <laughs> and my favorite client, I, I have a lot of favorite clients. I got to tell you. Who are they? Um, I don't know. I just have like, I would say like right now, I actually have a hockey player right now. And uh, she got checked into the boards real bad and, broke her femur, had to get a, a rod put in it. And she's really, she's a really hard worker. Um, it's so I, I enjoy working with her. Um, I, and I always love like with the kids, like with the bike riding, that's just, uh, it, it's, it's really enjoyable kind of watching those kids. I haven't had as many bike riding kids just with the COVID stuff, it's kind of a pain run alongside a kid with a mask on and stuff, trying to keep up. <laughs> Yeah. Was there a best breakthrough experience you had with any of your kids on the bike, like that just made your day, or you started crying and you went home, you couldn't wait to tell Delia? Uh, uh, my my favorite one is when I make the parents cry. So it's and I gotta tell you, but it's, hey, when the parents are crying, I'm crying right along with them. So it's just you you know you have like a, a kid with who's with has autism and. Uh, just when they figure out how to ride the bike and it just clicks for them. And they're just like these big grins on their faces. They're you know, looking at you going, look at me. I'm riding my bike. They start so with stationary first or a trainer. No, no just no. We, the first thing I do is pull their training wheels off the bikes. Huh. So I just start out. They have to learn how to, sh how to turn the handlebars is the whole trick. Um, and just getting if they lean left, they got to turn the handlebars left. Lean right, turn the handlebars right. And that's kind of figured. Once they get that figured out, then we get out, go out to the parking lot. And then uh, so I just go to a big old parking lot next to our clinic. There's no cars. It's at a sports arena. And then I just basically, I just run alongside them. And if they need me, I grab hold of the seat. And I kind of, kind of let them kind of figure it out. And once they are balancing the bike, I give them less and less support at the back of the seat. And then uh, eventually, you know, I'm 
taking my hands off and like waving both hands in front of them and saying, Hey, I'm not holding on. Uh, and that's when they kind of, Oh my gosh, I'm riding by myself. So you have a basic protocol, like a system. Um, I do. Does it ever fail? Do you have kids that just can't grasp the mechanics yes. of balance? And I, I have uh, one, I, I figured out like, uh, um, Trisomy 21 kids, Downs kids, um, it doesn't work as well with them. Just because for them, they need to do something re repetitive over and over and over and over again. I think it would work, but you just would have to do it for so long. But just in conversation with some of the therapists that do work with the Downs kids, um, it's my technique does not work. But as far as like other kids, like autistic kids, um, kids with the brain tumors, um, just developmental delayed. Um, it's, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm really lucky. I'm, I'm probably like 99% of the kids I are riding bikes now. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Is there any benefit to some of your kids to having them on the stationary bike other than cardiovascular fitness as far as just, uh, again, stimulation, being in an upright position and applying some power through your feet? Yeah, some of them, get, they might need that to kind of figure out the mechanics of how to pedal and the, that circular motion. So some of the kids will have like cerebral palsy. And uh, so it's, it'll be just affecting one side of them. And uh, they have a hard time getting that reciprocal motion. And so the bike is good at kind of teaching them that. Um, so it's um, sometimes it would be good to be on a stationary bike to kind of learn that reciprocal motion and then you can, can transition it over to the bike. Do you have access to a pool at your um, hospital? We do not. Okay. Is there any, and I may be reaching, just sort of scaffolding and bringing it down, okay, they can't be on the bike because they don't have the balance. It, uh, do, you've seen the bikes underwater. I have not seen bikes underwater. Yeah, they, well, you're not totally underwater. You have to breathe, but they have the bike submerged. Right. And this is for people who have a little bit of um, fear or avoidance, but it's also um, uh, you have some resistance with the water. But yeah, I was just wondering if there's any way of uh, either having the bike in water, which you haven't seen, or have them do some sort of pedaling in the water. But since you haven't, you don't have a pool, I'm, I'll, I'll skip that question. Billy, any upcoming trips with um, <laughs> any upcoming bike trips or any upcoming events on your bike? Your... Not really. We are kind of in limbo right now. Um, we were going to go down to Patagonia in the November, and that's I think we're going to put it off a year. Because um, of the pandemic? Yeah. I'm not sure they want. They probably they, they don't want us coming in there right now. <laughs> my friend just went to um, a dance friend went to Belize. They tried to go to Belize, and my wife is saying, "Why are you traveling?" That's I hope they don't. And he found out a day after they're not letting any Americans. <laughs> yeah. They they blocked us. Good, 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 good. Yeah, yeah. No one really wants us anywhere. I don't think, and I don't blame them either. Um, but uh, I don't know. We'll probably we might do a bike trip out uh, California, maybe um, take the tandem out there and right around out there on the on the ocean side there but uh, that's that's about it and i go and i just hook on a little um extra 
bike or whatever you call those things and just ride along the back. What do you call what do you call those little carriages you can you can hook onto the back of a bike? Yeah, the bike is called a hook along, I think. And I think <laughs> the, the one you want is like the burling where you kind of sit there. Yeah, I don't do shit. I just sit there and yeah. I'll even have like diapers on. I'll have a little um baby's uh, thermos or whatever you call them, baby's bottle and I'll put that little baby Huey hat on and act like yeah. a child to bring you that would be great. Any, what, what's going on with retirement plans, Billy, and just life goals? Um, I'm looking to kind of cut back the hours with PT. Uh, it's, I just want to do more, more bike riding, do some woodworking, um, do some traveling. Don't forget the bees. Oh, the bees. That's right, the bees. Yeah, work with the bees more. Billy has beehives in his house. No, not in his house. I'm sorry. <laughs> on his property. <laughs> Billy, the bees are out again. It's okay. It's okay. Just hide in the back. And don't go back in your lives. Then, and does do you do you see yourself biking forever? Yeah, I'm gonna be like that guy. I don't know if you ever saw that. The the husband wife. I think they're like. 90 years old, I think, and they're riding a tandem bike. That's so sexy. I love that. I love yeah. that. Um, I, I mean, I, I would love to do that. I, that would be great. It's uh, Dilly and I would love the tandem. I mean, it's a great time for us to be together. And some people say it's a divorce maker, uh, but for us, it's been great because I don't understand. What, what's that? Why is it a divorce maker? Um, I think what it is is uh, you have two people that want to be captain the bike. Yeah. And uh, they or want to be in control, and some people just don't feel comfortable with that, and the, being in the back with the one in front. And you do you? Yeah. What's what's up? You both switch off? No, it's I stay in the front. It's Adelia's more comfortable with me steering. Um, very misogynistic. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but uh, it's it's. Uh, it's great because we can kind of ride together and I'm, I'm pretty good too. I don't like go super fast and scare. I mean, we go sometimes, sometimes we're going a little fast coming off those mountain passes and she'll kind of nudge me and say, Hey, we're kind of speeding and I'll slow down a little bit. But, uh, I definitely, uh, she feels comfortable riding with me and I definitely do not want to have an accident with her on the back. So I definitely, I'm not as crazy as I am when I'm on my own, own road bike with descending. So, uh, but it's nice. We can kind of see things together and, uh, it's, it's great to spend time together that way. Yeah, as you know, at Chef's at night, my, my wife, my wife's name is at Chef's at night, and we dance together, and it's a nice way of getting us to go on dates, to spend time with one another, socialize with other people. So we're, I'm hoping I can dance and talk. You really can't dance any longer. You can't dance right now. No, no, I'm saying I, I'm hoping I can dance until I can't dance any longer. <laughs> Thanks for your concern. I'm fine. <laughs> no, I think that dancing would be great. It'd be a cool thing to get all together. I think it's you know what they found out about dancing is that um, it's been like um, partner dancing. It's been shown to slow or, decay or, or stop you from getting dementia or Parkinson's because you're developing new pathways of learning. So... Uh, they're doing a lot of studies on uh, not just salsa, I can't think of it, I can't think of tango. Because one person is leading and the other person has to feel, has to have some sensitivity to the other person's hands and be led. Huh. Yeah. 
Very Sorry cool. to cut you off. Sorry to cut so, you off earlier. Oh, no, not at all. One final question, Billy. Any words of wisdom or golden nuggets you can give to uh, younger cyclists? Actually, I have two questions. I have two questions. What do you enjoy about being 60 in cycling? What do you enjoy the most about being 60? Um, I guess I'm a little bit wiser, maybe. Um, I definitely do not like <clears throat> the body breaking down. That's, uh, that's kind of a drag. Um, I think just the wise, being wiser, I'm smarter. The, the aches and pains that come after 40, 50, they suck, and when you feel yourself slowing up. I don't remember being winded going up a one flight of stairs or you see some person um, 20 years younger picking something up, you go to move it like, what the heck? <laughs> How do you do that? But yeah, <laughs> there's some disappointment with aging, but I think if you keep a positive perspective and you try to stay as healthy as possible, you will um, cut down some of the degradation of your body. Hey, Billy? Yes, sir. Any words of wisdom or nuggets you can pass along to younger cyclists to save them from aches and pains or for them to have a longer, healthier cycling career? I think uh, the biggest thing is to to do your easy days, take your, your off days. Um, I feel like when you're younger, you feel invincible, and I, I feel like you have a you kind of have that accumulation of fatigue kind of builds and you may not be aware of it. Um, so if you're on that bill curve, I think a lot of younger cyclists are kind of off to that right side because they've just, they're just trained so much and they're just not recovering. I think if you take those off days to kind of swing you back more to the middle, I think it's going to, um, you're going to get faster even. Um, and you're not going to be so abusive to your body and stuff. I mean, it's, you know, when, when I was younger, I took one day off. Now that I'm 60, I have two days off a week, and I definitely make sure I take those days off. So That's one I, thing they don't teach you is rest and recovery, or they didn't teach you and how important it was just to don't do anything. If you're going to do something, just bring it down a few levels. Bring the intensity down a little bit. Yeah. I even, I even have, I have a friend now. He's actually 70. I used to ride with him a lot. It's so He's so funny. He's still stuck in that old mindset. <laughs> just had dinner with him this last weekend and um, his wife is like hey Billy when you have an off day do you take it completely off from exercising and I go yeah and you know she's like Lee and my, my friend is like I think part of it is he can't take a day off uh, it's like he'll take a day off from cycling but instead of cycling he'll go out for a run on his off days and it's just like you know what they want an off day to let your body heal, and if you're going out and doing something else, you just you're not going to recover. I believe in you should move every day, but as far as overloading or loading the body, loading the same body parts, you have to recover, especially the older you get. And I definitely um, uh, have all victims. I got to work out, got to work out, you know. But but it, 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 once I do take a day off, or I have my clients take a day off, it, you know, you appreciate it. they appreciate it because they come back even stronger and better usually. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, you got to have those recovery days, especially with what we do, you know, working out with our patients and stuff like that. It's kind of tough. Yeah. You don't get to recover and stuff like that. 
I've learned to use that as a as a as a workout often. If I know I'm going to have some physical clients today, I won't work out. I'll work out with them. You know, work out three or four times for an hour. There's your, there's your training. You know. That's always that's always the killer for me. Like, uh, you know, trying to show a kid how to do like a single leg squat, and you have like a really hard, <laughs> and you're just like, oh my god. Uh, I'll just only one rep and then I'm done. <laughs> That's when you get videos from a model. <laughs> really, how can how can parents find if you I, I, you know I'd love you to for to give you a little shout out a promo. Parents that have kids, whether they're general orthopedic injury or special needs or autism or cerebral palsy, whether they live in Colorado or want to come and visit just for your special needs, your care. How can folks find you? Um, they, I guess they can find me. Um, uh, I guess they can email me if they're interested in it. I can definitely get something set up with that. You actually want to give your email out in the podcast. Go ahead. What is your email? How can people find? Your Man, I got to remember how, what it is at work here. It's going to be uh, <laughs> bill.har. So it's going to be B-I-L-L dot h-a-r-r at children's colorado dot org so that would be uh, i'll redo it here b-i-l-l dot h-a-r-r at c-h-i-l-d-r-e-n-s c-o-l-o-r-a-d-o dot o-r-g who the hell came up with this url <laughs> yeah. so I'm just and Bill, everyone. I'll have this in the show notes. So if you didn't, if you weren't able to copy it down and jot it down, I will have the email address in the show notes. Billy, that's a long ass uh, URL. Yeah, that's why I hesitated when you wanted to know what my email was. <laughs> it's a long one, but no, I'd be happy to help out anyone if they have a child who's having a hard time riding a bike. If they're out of state, I'd be happy talking with them and explain to them what I do. This is definitely, it's not rocket science. Um, and it's very rewarding. And you also offer teletherapy, correct? Yes, I do. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> That's why I'm here as the, yes. uh, the host. Billy Har, one of my best friends. I love you, man. And thank you for taking the time to do this podcast. With me, you're, you're a great guy, man. You're good, and you got you. You have a, a wonderful wife. So I, I wish you a long life, health, and lots and lots of love. Richard, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. I love you too. Give your best, or give my best to Hapshet Sit. I will. Um, it's been great talking with you. Same here, man. Peace and have a blessed day. Take it easy. Thanks a lot. Then you Bye. be safe. Bye. Bye. Before I got my guitar, before I had my first car, I had my training wheels, bicycle made of steel, And thank you for listening to our Move Evolution Heal Move Evolve podcast. Did you like this episode? Then please help us grow, rate, and review us. 
And if you would like more great life fitness content, check us out at moverevolution.com. Heal, move, evolve. Yeah.